0: hi, I'm Caitlin. Welcome to Better Words. Hi, I'm Shelf.
1: Hey Caitlin, how are you?
0: <laughs> I'm good.
1: All as the, way we already over the know. other side of the world. <laughs>
0: yeah, I know. I'm cold and you're warm and it's probably the same temperature.
1: Well, actually I'm a bit cold today.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Actually, I mean, this would probably get really boring for everyone listening, but we should do a weekly weather check.
1: (laughs) Well, right now it's um, like foggy, but the fog doesn't really lift. So it sort of reminds me of home a little bit because this is what it's like in winter at home.
0: Yeah. It rained very, very lightly the entire day, just like drizzling and spitting like all day.
1: It's like we're sharing the same climate, really. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Winter, uh, summer, you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Right. So we are coming to you, or I'm coming to you from our new flat. Yay! Which is really exciting. Um, and hopefully there won't be too much road noise. Um, there's definitely no dogs, unfortunately. Percy is Percy is living his best life on the farm. Um, but. He shall not be appearing in our podcast anymore, unfortunately.
0: No. No, he's not.
1: Everyone's probably like, thank yeah. God he was so annoying. And I wasn't <laughs> <he> was annoying. <laughs> uh,
0: uh, so what have you been reading?
1: Well, I've been reading lots, actually, because we haven't had internet for a while while we've been moving in and everything, so books it is. And I read one that I found in a charity shop but it was, like, such a good find. You know that moment where you're like, oh, oh, my God, holy grail. Although I think that there are just better quality books in charity shops over here.
0: Maybe. I don't know.
1: Like, I just find – I can never
0: find anything in secondhand shops here.
1: I know. They're just really – Not in like Rocky, anyway. really, really dodgy stuff or, like, really old books that um, – and by that I mean – I don't mean, like, interesting old books. I mean, like – Mills and Boone stuff from like the 80s yep so for me I was like oh my god jackpot this book was only released like last year um and you know I'm finding all these books but I've just found I've probably been there are probably four charity shops I've been in just in our town and there are really good books in all of them
0: good at least you'll have a regular spot to hit up now
1: exactly um so anyway that was a massive side note the book that I got was called this is going to hurt by Adam Kay and you've probably seen it on Instagram like it was doing the rounds last year when it came out a lot of people were reading it and it was one of those ones where I was like uh um you know it sounds okay I sort of got it confused a little bit with I think the book's called when breath becomes air because they both had like They're both nonfiction about doctors, I think. Ah. And I just remember associating. These are just sounding
0: less and less familiar the more you describe them to me, at
1: least. Anyway, you know how when books come out sometimes and something sort of similar comes out at the same time and then you sort of confuse those in your mind and associate them I often
0: merge them in my head. Yeah. And they become the same book.
1: (laughs) Anyway, I got this book for 75 pence. And I was like, great, it looks great. I knew Grace had read it, so I was like, I think I'm gonna love it. But it looks sad because I had it confused. I think with When Breath Becomes Air, and I'm still not even sure if that's exactly the book that I had it confused with. But I thought it was gonna be really sad. Um, But it's actually really hilarious. And I started reading it, waiting for a train, and I kept having to like, I just kept having like little like
0: giggles to (laughs) myself. (laughs) you know how you do
1: and you just I was just like kept looking around for someone to share the joke with and there was no one um (laughs) it's so funny so this guy is now a comedian and a script tv script writer but he Mm -hmm. was a doctor for I think seven years in the NHS in England and it's basically his diary of his years as a junior doctor and wow
0: that's really interesting
1: it's hilarious it's actually hilarious it's the perfect mix of like serious at times when it needs to be but his humor is so spot on like it's not crass it's not making fun of people but it's that dark humor and I think for me particularly I get that humor so much because it reminded me of being in a newsroom yeah because it's like serious stuff but then you can have a joke about it too and It made me really. think, why did I not keep a diary of all the weird shit that happened to me as a journalist?
0: (laughs) I mean, missed opportunity.
1: I know. So I sort of want to write. I'm so tempted to write like a semi-fictional post in the style of this is going to happen where I talk about some of the stuff. Like the stuff I would tell you guys that happened to me during the days and stuff and the the silly press conferences I went to and like – the weird stuff that happened to me. I just,
0: it's. I mean, there would be some good stories there.
1: Like, for sure. Even just things like stuff that my boss told me, funny <laughs> stories that he related to me. Like, I just, it's such a missed opportunity. Why didn't I do that? Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm really, I'm kicking myself now. Anyway, it was a really good book. I actually think you'd really enjoy it. It's, cause it's, cause it, it sounds really so funny. Yeah, it and is. And I
0: do often trust your recommendations, which is what I did with my most recent read, Ice Cream mm-hmm. for Breakfast.
1: Oh, yay. What did you think? Did
0: oh, like I really enjoyed it. And it's one of those things that, you know, you read books like this. I mean, it's like a self-help sort of book and you read it and it says, like, stop apologising, enjoy the little moments, like all these different things. But I'm just... I think sometimes you just need to hear those things again and you go, yeah, you know, wearing a cool dress to work is fun and it makes a Wednesday a bit more exciting or, you know, like on Fridays I can, you know, go to the bakery and get my favourite sausage roll. Like, you know, just little things like that that you've got to enjoy the little moments, which I feel like is what that whole book is really about. Yeah, It's just absolutely. yeah enjoying the little things a bit more and you know not worrying so much and Mm. yeah I might need to reread a few passages (laughs) even with things that are happening more recently but that's all right we'll get to that later um (laughs) but yes the other thing much darker I would say that I've been obsessed with recently is the chilling adventures of Sabrina I finally watched the part two that dropped like ages ago. I don't know why I put it off, but oh, so good. You've watched it, haven't so you? So good.
1: Yes, yes. We finished it a few weeks ago. It's so good. And oh my God. I'm really interested to see where they take it. Like, I'm assuming there's a new
0: Me too. Coming. Yeah. I Googled it straight away. There's more coming, <laughs> parts three and four. But also, it's like, you know, when this show started, and I'm like, oh, Harvey and Sabrina, I don't know how they've done it but I don't care about Harvey and Sabrina. I like <laughs> Sabrina and Nick, and I like Roz and Harvey. <laughs> I don't even I, know how they managed to accomplish that, but they did.
1: I like Sabrina and Nick. I'm not so sure about Harvey and Roz only because i mean,
0: I mean, like... I'm less sure about them, but Nick – God bless Nick Scratch, or should it's I say mainly... Satan bless Nick Scratch?
1: For me, it's mainly like the – hate to be like girl code but it's kind of like it it feels weird to me that you would date your best friend's ex like it just that
0: mm, yeah so soon is a little yeah
1: yeah when you'd be friends for so long as well like did you always have feelings like I don't know it just it would weird me out so I'm projecting that onto the show um but yeah and you watch good girls as well didn't you
0: (gasps) yes I'm obsessed with that show oh my god it's so so good I want to rewatch it like I just cannot believe the ending
1: <sighs> I was very like impressed.
0: I'm so really good laughing. but also like that. what that show really did really well in the second season especially was all the different things that were happening like you know in each episode that we then sort of got to the end and it unravelled and they repeated moments and you went like, oh, he was talking about something different, you know? Like I love those moments and those kinds of yeah. things in shows and movies especially. So that was cool. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I am, of course, still obsessed with Love Island UK. Mm. And I Reality. will be ashamed for that.
0: <laughs> no. You know what? I have successfully been getting all my my family really into the voice over here Mm -hmm. so like it's become now it's like yeah we have to watch the voice and then now they're all talking about it and being like oh my god I don't like her she can get voted home it's all good (laughs) like so everyone's getting really into it but it's almost over we're at the finals Um, yeah
1: finals new winner almost yeah a few weeks left to go over here like it's like three or four weeks of it I think
0: How long does it run for?
1: I think it's like six weeks.
0: Wow. I don't think Australia has that attention span for our reality TV shows anymore. Yeah. They're all really short now.
1: It's on every night.
0: See, you know, all of our our reality shows here are on like two or three nights a week.
1: Yeah, because you have to allow for the footy on Friday night. None will run on Friday (laughs) night because the footy's on.
0: No. And
1: they can't compete with that. No, I guess so. Yeah. Oh, but I can never, I can never judge which night's going to be a recoupling either. You know, like um, with if you watch the block or house rules, like Sunday, maybe Monday will be like the show reveal night. day. So you could, yeah, you could miss the rest of it and then watch the reveal day. But um, they
0: recap everything anyway.
1: Yeah, so I can never pick. Sometimes it's on a Sunday, sometimes it's on a Friday unless I just haven't worked out the method for it yet. There was a really, <laughs> really big blow up on there the other night um, because one of the girls, Mora, who owns her sexuality and is quite, you know, happy to be sexual and stuff like that, um, she was going to take one of the boys to the hideaway and all the boys Ooh. were – yeah, that's the private room because they all – you know how they all share a room – and right. all the boys were being real lads and they were like, ooh, oh, you're going you gonna to sleep with her, like all that sort of stuff. And then he said, be interesting to see if she's all mouth or not. And she heard and she's like, what did you say? What did you, what did you say to them? And he said it and she's like, are you effing kidding me? And she just, but she basically she just walked off and she's like, go eff yourself. Oh, my um, God. And, you know, what was great, though, because she was like, you know, I want someone who's going to treat me with respect. And I think the guys were like, what's she so upset about? But it's true. You can own your sexuality and talk about your own, you know, sexual pleasures and desires and stuff. But guys shouldn't be so disrespectful as to then go and talk about you. Like, like there's, there's a line between you you.
0: There's a difference yeah. between someone, you know, saying what they want, what they like, mm-hmm. what they've done, et cetera, and then that being used against them in a negative way.
1: Especially in, like, a lads culture sort of way, like, lock yeah. room, like, ooh, ooh, ooh okay. <laughs> what did you get up to? Like, that sort of thing. And, like, oh. she's... You know what I mean? Like where they're yes. like, oh, yeah, she's going to put out for sure and all that sort of stuff. And meanwhile, she was like, no, I'm not going to sleep with him tonight. I've only kissed him three times. Like, you yeah. know, so it was that she was like, no, don't disrespect me like that in front of in front of your mates. And then all the other girls were like, yeah, what if you had done something with him? You know, how's he going to talk about you afterwards? Like I think it's just a, that was a really interesting example. And I think that's why I find shows like Love Island interesting because they do open up discussions about things like that. Oh, which totally. is why, I mean that was know, a
0: huge discussion in Australia about Married at First Sight and yes. stuff this year, and wasn't it? Yeah.
1: I didn't watch even watch Married at First
0: Sight. No. Yeah. But and you still I hear was... about all of it.
1: And one of the other things that's been discussed a lot, like this contestant has now gone home, but there was a guy on there called Joe, and everyone was joking that he was like Joe from you because he was super controlling of his oh. partner on the show, and he even said to her, "I don't want you being friends with that guy. I think it's weird that you're friends with that guy. I don't, I don't, I can't trust you if you're friends with him." And everyone was like, "Oh my goodness, like, um, excuse me, that's emotional abuse." And I think it's interesting. In some ways, I think it's good for Tinker. Like, there are lots of problems with Love Island, especially when it comes to body image representation and stuff. But in some ways, it's good that everything these discussions
0: are up. happening. Yeah. And like, you can watch the relationship play out in real time, in reality almost. And yeah. so
1: many people in some say, version
0: of a reality.
1: That's, and I was interested that so many people were like, whoa, Joe, you're being really controlling. Whereas last year, there was a guy who was quite emotionally manipulative and he wasn't mm. called out as much. So I think it's interesting to see is, it, this year. That's
0: cool. Last, last it's year. like yeah. how much growth we've all had in one year. Yeah, that's well, cool. Like, thanks, yeah, thanks, mainly. you, Netflix Original. <laughs>
1: Oh, seriously though, he looked a bit like Joe, and everyone was like joking that he was, yeah, really controlling. Look it up. Look Gonna who, murder
0: up. her best friend and her boyfriend. Oh
1: my God. <laughs> oh my look it up though. I think you'll find it. You'll find it interesting. Okay. We should link. We should link to one of the articles in the show notes as well, because um, it's yeah, it was quite an interesting discussion that was happening. Um, and I had to. I had to show Jack that thing about. The guy saying that though, because I just said to him, like, I would be mad too. And I know that you would never speak about me or any other woman like that in front of the boy. It's yeah. like, and then you know, the guy's excuse was, Oh, they were all saying this to me. And she's like, Well, that's
0: no, you said it's a that. Terrible excuse. Yeah, it's yeah. a
1: terrible excuse. Grow up. Um, so I, I think, yeah, that was just really interesting. And kind of important to see there are a lot of problems with love islands commentary and love islands um like there's a lot of issues with race as well Mm. so i'm not saying it's perfect and there are definitely problematic things there's lots of problematic things on twitter of course about race and stuff like that people are really horrible but i am still addicted to it (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's
1: all right. um, and I'm writing a post at the moment about about all this sort of stuff like the fact that I feel guilty for saying I like it and stuff so I don't know sort of yeah. come out at some point I'm sort of trying to work out my feelings about it not yeah what I specifically enough. just about those sorts of things but
0: yeah yeah well I look forward to reading that post
1: <laughs> yeah well it mentions one of our um favorite podcasts as well so, Yay! <laughs> if anyone's not aware, that's Shameless by Michelle yeah. Andrews and Zara McDonald. We think they're awesome and you should definitely yeah, go check yes. them out. Actually, yeah. can I just say one more thing? Sure. I watched, I watched Bad Neighbours the other night and I just still really love Zach Ephron.
0: Uh yeah. <laughs> I love Zach Ephron. I,
1: I just feel like I need to tuck that in like just as a reminder, like he's awesome.
0: Yeah. This is your weekly reminder. Zach one is great. Yeah, it was really good.
1: I honestly thought I'd seen that movie and then I started watching it and was like, have I only seen Bad Neighbours 2? I don't remember any of Bad Neighbours. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. I know. Oh. I knew when that happened. Bad Neighbours is hilarious. (laughs) It is so good. It is so good.
0: (sighs) So funny. I love Rose Byrne in that. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. so good. All right. Well everyone, Zach Efron is awesome. Let's get to this interview.
1: <laughs> Our guest this week is a New York Times best selling author. An educator and an activist. Her young adult and children's books have received numerous awards and she's given lectures at the United Nations, the Library of Congress and the U.S. Embassy in Japan. Her poetry and fiction explores the lived experiences of black girls and women and the intersections of race, class, gender and body image. Our guest is visiting Australia from New York City to talk about her latest work with Ellen Hagan, Watch Us Rise. So we're very pleased to welcome you to Better Words, Renee Watson.
2: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to chat to you. Um, we both really, really loved Watch Us Rise.
2: Oh, It thank was you.
0: amazing. I don't know about Michelle. I think you read it quite quickly. But yeah. I actually read it... Um, on a road trip so I read it literally in one sitting Mm. in five hours in the car
2: (laughs) oh wow oh my goodness
1: I did that with what mama left me and was like getting really emotional
2: (laughs) I was not prepared to
1: feel like so sad and yeah that was that was a real sucker punch of a
2: book (laughs) oh yeah they were they're both very different but yeah they do have some similar things I guess dealing with grief and lost and trying to find your way yeah
1: Absolutely, yeah. So we're very pleased. Well, Caitlin read that too on her holiday mm-hmm. as well. So we both kind of read them one after the other, and it was mm-hmm. it was really good experience, actually. Um, but we would love to talk to you a bit in depth about Watch Us Rise because that's the book that people are probably seeing a lot of at the moment, mm-hmm. um, and they're, they're probably seeing it. There's two really striking covers. There's a yellow cover and a pink cover, and I love them both. Oh. Um, have seen a lot of them on Instagram lately. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was written with your friend Ellen Hagan. Yes. And for those who don't know, it's about two teenage girls. They start their own women's rights club. And like Caitlin said, like we think it's wonderful. It's brilliant for young girls. I mm-hmm. wish that we had had these books when we were growing up. Oh, I know. Right? <laughs> Why did you two want to write this book?
2: You know, I think it's kind of what you just said. We wish that we had uh, a book like this. And and not just like our book, but that we had um, art to look to that would get us talking about these issues. A lot of the adults in our lives didn't necessarily explicitly talk about the intersections of race, class, and gender or what it meant to be a feminist when we were in high school. So it was a way for us to kind of do the thing that we wish we had, and also to create something that um, celebrated all the young women that we work with that are amazing, um, really smart, talented girls who have a lot to say about what's happening. Ellen and I are good friends in our personal life. We met because we taught together, working at um, an organization called Dream Yard and Community Word Project, which teaches poetry to young people and we had this cohort that we would do poetry poetry workshops with so the book is loosely kind of inspired by these girls that we met who were writing poems and thinking about the world responding to what was happening in the news in these really powerful ways we just wanted to write a book that honored their stories um, and that, you know, got people talking hopefully about issues that are, we think, important to girls.
1: That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I think. And I learned, th- like, we both would consider ourselves quite feminist and quite, um, I guess what's the word like I don't know. we're quite across social issues we like to read across a lot of things we like to keep up with a lot of things
2: mm-hmm. but I
1: still learnt a couple of new things in that that which is always a pleasure when you learn something from a book and we totally acknowledge we have lots more to learn yes. but yeah but it was really yeah, yeah. It was yeah absolutely. that it wasn't it wasn't just um I guess the surface level stuff that's always talked about there was a mm. lot there was a lot in there and um I guess people always slam the younger generation for, you know, being entitled or being right. too obsessed with technology. But, I mean, the the fact that you base this on girls that you know too is just so encouraging. And yeah. anyone who doubts the future should read that
2: you and know, know that. I, yeah, Ellen and I have been on tour for a, a while now, um, since February. So for about three months. And we've met so many young people who relate to Jasmine and Chelsea and who are starting clubs at their school. And this is before they've even read the book, like they were already doing this work. And so, yeah, it it is fascinating to me, kind of the stereotypes and assumptions we can make about young people. And then when I go to these author visits, I meet people who are, you know, super motivated and, and willing and open to be vulnerable and to talk about hard issues. And to love each other and really be accepting in ways that I don't know what's happening when I was a kid. I mean, I do know the bullying thing and that there is, you know, there's a lot of work that young people need to do. But I have very encouraged uh, just by being on book tour and seeing people from all over the world um, responding to what's happening in their world through art. And it's been really special and powerful to witness that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's just wonderful. It's one of those things, you know, like, yes, we, you know, people think all oh, these young people are doing nothing or they're just,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
0: maybe not as well educated or anything as adults supposedly are. But, I mean, the second you start talking to someone, you realise that's completely wrong. So yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> um, Were there any challenges for you guys working together? Like, how did you actually go putting this story together with these two characters?
2: You know, it's so interesting. This has really been one of the best writing experiences I've ever had. Uh, Writing (laughs) is such a solitary thing. So to be in it with a partner was uh, refreshing for me and very new, and I loved it. So Ellen and I would meet um, at her apartment in New York City, and we spent the first maybe 30 minutes talking, checking in with each other, what's going on in your life, how are you, what are you watching what are you reading what are you caring about right now just so that we could you know kind of uh, warm up a little bit to each other and and think about the current issues that were on our mind or what we were witnessing and seeing and then we'd plot a little bit we had like post-it notes that we would make uh, uh on her table we'd spread them out and write like the big idea of each chapter and kind of you know with post-it notes you can move them around and so we would. Puzzle it all out and make a plot line and then write. I would write Jasmine's character, um, her chapters, and she was Chelsea. We'd set a timer and we'd write for a little while. And then when the timer went off, we'd share uh, the chapters with each other and get immediate feedback and really kind of help each other shape the chapters. And, you know, I'd say, oh, well, if that happens with Chelsea, okay, then I'm going to make sure that in my next chapter, Jasmine does this. And we would, you know, keep adding on that way and we literally wrote the whole book um, and including some of the revisions too. So yeah, it was great. It was a really beautiful experience. The challenge was more about the manuscript and not how we worked together. I think because we've been friends for like 13 or more years. So we were fine, but there was <laughs> in the actual, um, you know, the book itself that just had some flaws in the beginning that we really needed to work through and figure out what is the story and how do we want to tell it. Um, So, you know, the real writing happens in revision, like we always say as writers. And so it took us a couple of drafts to get it to the point where we felt, you know, that it was a publication.
0: Wow. Sounds like a really productive process, though, like with the timer and you share and get immediate feedback and everything. That sounds... Really useful and yeah. Yeah, productive.
2: <laughs> it was and you know, like it it was new for me because I don't always get immediate feedback. Mm. You know, I'll write well, yeah, it's and like I don't you know. said writing this way to do myself. Yeah. Normally. So it was great to have have someone in it with me and and to work out those plot points that were like, Oh, I don't I don't know how to fix this, you know, and we could talk about it and work on it together. So that was really nice to have a writing partner. So we're working on separate projects now, but we're still creating time to just write together in the same room just to kind of keep each other accountable. I think we really liked that process of meeting and the ritual of writing and sharing work. So we've we've still been doing that, even though we're not working on a book together anymore. Well,
0: perfect. will we get to see more of Jasmine and
2: Chelsea (laughs) in the future? (laughs) I don't know I you know we'll see if not I think you will see more from the two of us working together so but I'm not sure if it will be following those characters but we do hope to do more work together for sure
0: okay I can live with that (laughs) yeah look you
1: guys you guys make a very good team so that's that's okay thank Um, you (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. So one of the really interesting things about, um, about Watch Us Rise and also I noticed about some of your own work as well is the way that you kind of weave poetry into how you tell the story mm-hmm. and I think poetry is something which can be fairly intimidating for a lot of people. There's a lot of, mm-hmm. a you scary. know, <laughs> yeah, like a lot of high school flashbacks of studying Shakespeare and things like mm-hmm. that. <laughs> um could you give us some recommendations for those who enjoyed um watch us rise and enjoyed that poetry that especially around social issues and stuff have you got any recommendations for people who are a bit scared to kind of dive into poetry as a thing that they read so like basically me <laughs> <laughs> sure
2: I well let me first say you know I I totally understand that and I think had I not had teachers who made poetry accessible and relevant to me, I don't know that I would like it either, you know? It's finding something that's really gonna resonate with the young person. And so, yes, I had to learn Shakespeare, but I was also reading Maya Angelou and Lucille Clifton and Langston Hughes and all of these African-American poets who were speaking in a way that um, my, my parents talked or, you know, the people in my neighborhood Spoke and about issues that matter to me. And so I think finding poems that are relevant and that are talking about current issues is one way to get young people a little more excited about about reading and writing their own poetry. Um, So with that said, some of my favorite writers who are kind of merging, writing like novels and verse or including poems in their novels would be Jacqueline Woodson um, with Brown Girl Dreaming. That's like one of my favorite books and it's all told through verse. Um, I love the work of Nikki Grimes and and her book, One Last Word is a beautiful book and some of the classic poems of the Harlem Renaissance with her own writing on contemporary present day. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, And Elizabeth Acevedo, um, The Poet X is also a great book that has poetry in it as well
1: wonderful thank you I'm, I'm yeah. definitely going to be adding some more poetry um I, I've only really read Kate Tempest before mm-hmm. now yes. um and I really really love Told Your Own um and love the way that kind of retold a Greek myth and stuff so I'm keen to yeah. sort of get more but it is hard to find people that yeah sort of yeah. more accessible
0: where to start yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Because, like you said, like if you don't have teachers
2: or people who introduce that to you, it's it's very, very hard. Yeah. Um, Ellen and I, in the back of the book, we listed all the poets that inspire us. I mean, well, not all, but a most. We wrote a list of of women poets who move us, who we teach in the classroom, um, who we look to for inspiration. So there's also that in the back of the book. Um, If young people or educators are like, where do we go now? You could like look up some of those poets um, and maybe find a few that you love.
1: Absolutely. I think this book is very schools friendly as well and very teacher friendly. And I hope that some teachers bring it into their classrooms, especially in Australia. Like I think it would translate well and there's still a lot of issues that could be discussed. Um, one of the other really interesting things for me in Watch Us Rise was that even though Chelsea and Jasmine are very very good friends they do go through some difficult patches in their friendship and it was really good to see them educate each other Mm -hmm. and work through their issues rather than just sort of not speaking to each other or getting really angry Um, and I think they, they sort of do the same with people who are rude to them or or a girl in particular who's bullying them, um, they sort of take that and educate her. Um, So with this in mind, I'm really interested to know how you feel about – this rise of like what people are terming cancel culture. Um, Mm -hmm. So the idea of like boycotting people who might unintentionally do the wrong thing. Um, So obviously not people who intentionally go out and, you know, say vile things, but if people are doing it from a place of miseducation, should we educate them or should we just boycott? Like, how
2: do you feel about that? Yeah. I think it's complicated. and I think that it depends right on the circumstance, but in general, I really do feel like, um, we should offer grace to people and forgive and think about, you know, intent and impact. And so I, I do think that a lot of times people have good intention and they're not meaning to be offensive. They're not aware of what they're doing, what they're saying, and why it's impacting people in, in this hurtful way. And so, yeah, I think there is a time where you can say, look, this hurts me. This is um, based off of a stereotype or this is, you know, offensive. I think it's totally fine to say and to give that person a chance to make that wrong or right by either apologizing or, you know, fixing the work. If, the, if it's something that they've created that was offensive. Uh, And I do think, though, that there there does come a time where you're like, okay, so we've had this conversation a few times, and clearly you don't want to change, or you're not getting it. And so I, you know, need to move on. And maybe we're not friends, or maybe um, I'm not going to buy your music or, you know, participate in your art form or whatever the situation is. So I'm kind of in both camps in that I do think we need to talk it out and think about like, you can't just cancel everybody or you're not going to be talking to anyone because people are going to offend you, you know, even people you love and you're going to Mm. also offend people. Like I'm not perfect and no one is. And so I'm always thinking that, well, how would I want to be treated? Like if I said something super offensive and really hurt someone, what would I want them to do for me? That's such a basic thing, right? Do unto others as we want them to do unto us. And so um, I think about that a lot, that one day it could be me, that we're all kind of on our growing edge. It just depends on the subject matter. There's certain things I'm very uh, knowledgeable about. And then there's other areas where I'm I'm learning. And so I think I'll fumble and make mistakes. And I hope that people are patient with me. But I do think there comes a time where that patience runs out, right? And you're just like, okay, so clearly you don't care and you don't, you're not thinking about your impact. Um, And when it gets to that point, and yes, I do think there's a time to walk away from a person um, and say, this is toxic and this is not healthy for me. So I'm not going to, you know, engage anymore. So I think it just depends, but um, I I lean more into grace than I do into cutting people out. Yeah, I think
1: that's
2: the best way to put
0: it. I think that's a really, really nice approach to just, you know, like you said, remember to be, you know, just a bit kind and, and, compassionate. and compassionate and try and understand, you know, where that's coming from because most of the time people don't realize what they're saying.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree. Mm. So yeah. at, to your point, sorry, in the book, you know, thinking about, as one of the reasons why we included that, where Chelsea Mm -hmm. really hurts Jasmine's feelings and does something that's so, it's it's seemingly small. Like she, you know, it's okay to say what she does. She doesn't forget. She doesn't order a size that Jasmine can fit. They're doing this whole social action and she's ordering shirts that everyone can wear, but she doesn't think about her friend who is visibly fat plus size girl you know a big girl Mm. and so jasmine is just like how in the world are we best friends and we've known each other for so long and you didn't think about me um so they have to work through that and we thought it was important that the girls even though they are budding activists and feminists and they're finding their way they get it wrong sometimes and they make mistakes and they kind of have blind spots for certain things and i just think that that's normal that's very human that you know, you can be so um, aware about race and maybe and not, not about gender or whatever the thing is. And so I think we just wanted to show that you, it's okay to be flawed, but you got to own that and work on it. And how do you move forward? Um, mm-hmm. And that you don't have to wait to take action just because you're not perfect, right? So we if we keep yeah. saying, well, I don't know everything, so I'm not going to say anything, That's not helpful. So, you know, we have to be okay with making mistakes so that we can raise our voices instead of just standing on the sidelines because we're too afraid that we may offend someone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think just from a relationship point of view as well, it's nice to see friends like it's nice to acknowledge that just because you're friends doesn't mean you will always agree on everything and that that doesn't have to be the end of your friendship because I think especially with teenage girls um or especially with the teenage teenagers I knew um and the group of people I was friends with there was a lot of that like yeah exactly and it was like you've done me wrong therefore I won't talk to you and Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff um ends up being really harmful to your future like romantic relationships it can really Mm -hmm. shape the way you interact with people so to see that as an example in young in in a book for young audiences was really Mm -hmm. nice because it also shows the same with romantic relationships as well you might have this wonderful bond and connection but no one is perfect so you've got to work through that and it is it is work and yeah, I just really appreciated seeing that in a, in a young adult book. In in the way it's done, it's so nuanced as well and kind of tackles it, like you said, from the activist point of view but also from a, just a general relationships point of view. It yeah. was really, really good. Yeah. Um, so as, as you were just saying before, the intersection of a lot of different social issues is something that's explored in Watch Us Rise and, and in a lot of other other work that you've done as well Um, and obviously your work is is very diverse it's um, you know your lived experience and um, that of the people that you know Um, there's a lot of discussion I guess in the publishing industry about publishers being the gatekeepers so I'm just curious to know have you ever had any pushback or hesitation from publishers when it comes to the subject matter of your work
2: you know, I've been very fortunate that I haven't had a lot of pushback as far as um, what I want to write about. I do think sometimes because I'm writing about a culture that some of my editors have not experienced, you know, um, they there's just a lot of questions about, uh, well, is this believable? You know, why would this happen this way? And And some of that is just this you know, assumptions about the neighborhoods that I'm writing about and the types of characters that I write about. So I've had to have conversations around, you know, um, not wanting to perpetuate some of the stereotypes about young Black girls or wanting to hopefully do something a little more nuanced with the girl, you know, if if I think about Piecing Me Together and Jade's character um, and the neighborhood that she grows up in. I think there's a way you could write about that neighborhood where you would feel a lot of pity for her. But I wanted to make sure we were celebrating the beauty of her neighborhood too. And so just making sure I can have those kinds of conversations with my editors has been um, important. And I'm very intentional about about that. So no, I haven't had any pushback on what I want to write about, but sometimes the way I want to write about it comes up in in editorial notes. And then I've had a lot of conversations about covers. Covers are very challenging for, I think every author has some horror story about (laughs) the cover, but I've found that, you know, it's it's challenging to write about, not to write about, but to create art around a dark-skinned Black girl who lives in the Pacific Northwest, um, which is very, a different, Space that a lot of YA books don't take place in. And a lot of my characters are big girls. So there's just all of that you can't find in clip art. You can't find like, <laughs> just images that exist. And so that's been challenging is to really make sure characters look the way they describe themselves and that it's okay to have a character literally take up space on the cover as a big girl and not just make her a tiny bit bigger than thin, but like a really <laughs> fat girl. On a cover, you know, so those kinds of things are hair texture, things like that have been more of the challenges for me writing about the type of girls I write about, but the content I haven't had much pushback.
1: And have the publishers been quite willing to work with you on those covers? Because I know sometimes it can be taken out of your hands.
2: So have they listened when you've raised any issues? Yes. I, again, just, I love my team and we've been very open with each other about, you know, what we want and what we're, what we're trying to go for. And so sometimes it, it, it's never been like, oh, they don't want to do it. It's just hard to find or hard to find an illustrator who can deliver what we're asking for. So it, it mm. isn't, you know, that they're unwilling. It's just, it's not the default. So it's a little trickier to figure out how to do it. But yeah, I, I mean, we've gone back and forth and they're very, very um, open to my feedback, which I really appreciate. Because I know that that's not the case. Like you said, sometimes that's you know they don't even ask and they just give you a cover and that's what you have to live with. So <laughs> I feel very Here it is. <laughs> I, yeah, um, I'm very fortunate that even with my picture books, I've had you know some say and in input on the art, which has been great um i was just
1: watching Brené Brown's Netflix special um the other day and yes, she was talking about her <laughs> yeah she was talking about her covers so yes. her book deals with vulnerability yes. and being strong in that and she was showing these hilarious covers she's like people literally don't know how to deal with this they don't know how to represent courage and she has that hilarious cover with like the elephant yes she's like in what world did they think that I wanted my (laughs) name under an elephant on a book like no woman wants that
2: (laughs) it was so great yeah I just watched that too by the way and was just so tickled by that. I'm like, okay, well, everyone has issues with their covers. But I think it was interesting too when you think about, yeah, like how do you show bravery or courage? And especially when you're talking about, for me, you know, a a girl character. I do think that um, I've had to have conversations around that too, so not my characters and their blackness, but the character's gender is it okay like what does a strong girl look like on a cover and mm. does she have to be, do girls have to be smiling and looking so like you know gentle and and friendly and all these terms that we use to describe a certain type of girl like well what if the adjectives are different and it's bold and brave and strong and fierce what does that look like on a cover and is that okay to have a girl on a cover that isn't smiling and that isn't looking super friendly um so, yes, I've had to think about, you know, all of that, what they look like physically, like making sure they look the way they describe themselves, but also making sure they look like how their personalities are and that, um, and that they're showing some of the strength and resilience and not just some of the softer things that I think we like to associate with girl characters. Mm-hmm. So all of that is what, you know, we're having discussions about, which I it's hard because you're also trying to market and brand and you know it's the business side of publishing too that sometimes gets in the way of what what my um, values are or what I'm focused so it's good to have those conversations with multiple people who all care about the book want the book to succeed and so we're all just (laughs) trying to think what is the best image to convey what we're trying to say.
1: Um, I think the cover of What Mama Left Me, the, the new cover of that, yes. is particularly striking. It's a beautiful mm.
2: illustration. Yeah, Thank you. About. I really love it, too. I feel like it truly captures um, Serenity's um, personality, her emotional state, and it's it's somber, but it's hopeful. And I mm. I it balance of you know she's contemplative and it it, you can tell that okay there's something serious happening here but to me it doesn't feel um, like there's despair like there's something about it that is also peaceful and and I feel like that that was really important for us to get right this time around.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I do just want to say too and mention a project that um our friend Grace has been involved in. It's Dove and Getty Images mm. have been doing mm. um oh I can't remember what the hashtag is. What they're exactly calling. Yeah, it. yeah. but basically they're creating a new set of um stock, stock photos.
2: Uh, yeah nice. Yes.
1: So our friend Grace has um, a shaved head and she had a brain tumour, so she has scars on her head from her operations. And, you Mm -hmm. know, the photos are really striking because she's there with her scars and she's been used, I think, on like two or three different cosmopolitan stories so Mm -hmm. far about, you know, like the best moisturisers for your skin or, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. So. Um, I think projects like that are really cool as well because it's basically saying, like, we want to see more people like us. So people with scars or people who are different sizes, people with different skin colors, people Mm. who have different hairstyles, people with disabilities. Like, it's really cool. Actually, there's another brand in Australia, too, called... Um, I think it's Motty Body, which does mm-hmm. like the period underwear and stuff.
2: Oh, but the oh, reason yeah. their
1: ads have caught my eye is because they also do leggings. And on one of their ads, there is a girl um, with a prosthetic leg running in the leggings. And I mm-hmm. see that every time. And I'm like, that is don't so think cool. I not actually seen that one. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it keeps coming up on in my Instagram feed, probably because I follow so many feminist things. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, it's like hmm, you'll want period underwear.
2: Um, mm. But.
1: I keep seeing that. And every time I see it, I think that is so cool. I want to support your brand because you support diversity. Right. Right. It's so
2: important. So yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. I think that's just really cool. Anyway, that was an aside, but I think it's, it's cool to talk Mm -hmm. about that. And also if, people are listening to this podcast and they haven't heard our episode with grace. She's, we recorded with her a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> like I nearly like a few years ago now. So you can go back and listen to her talk about body image and stuff. Cause she's really cool as well. Um, so yeah. So yeah. next question. <laughs>
0: yes. Um, you are a writer, a teacher, a performer. How do these various, you know, professional, I guess your various professions, various roles influence your writing.
2: Hmm. I think the first thing that, that comes to mind is that most of my work has been with young people, and, and that ranges from, you know, the little ones that are picture book level all the way through early college, and so I've, I've been a teacher for many years, not a full-time like classroom teacher, but a guest poet in the schools teaching poetry workshops with young people, always centered around some type of Um, social issue where the young people were reading the news and um, watching the news and then creating art in response to what they would see or celebrating the everyday heroes in their neighborhood and the local history. So, so much of what I did in my professional life before becoming a full-time writer was the work that ended up inspiring a lot of the stories that I tell now as an author. So, yeah, it goes very hand in hand for me. Um, the young people that I've worked with over the years have definitely inspired me to write, and and also inspired me to be a better person. Like just to really think about um, living what I teach, and not just asking young people to raise their voice and do something, but for me to do that too. So in my own personal life outside of the book, I've had to challenge myself to, you know, you can't just go out and do these visits with young people and try to get them all excited and pumped up to go change the world. What are you doing in your local community? And so I've had to think about that a lot and and make sure that I'm, you know, trying to live by example and not just by what I say.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that, I mean, I guess that's a good reminder. The kids you yeah. teach sound so awesome, by the way. Yeah. <laughs>
2: they know, they're kids. So it definitely is challenging. And I don't do that work as much as I used to because my writing has me, you know, traveling more and I needed to to be, I wanted to be consistent in their lives. So I don't teach like I used to, but um, yeah, they are amazing. And even the ones who like would start off telling me that they hate writing and they didn't want to be in the class or um, (laughs) just had a lot going on. And for whatever reason, could not emotionally handle being you know that vulnerable on the page um, still there was some type of connection with all of my students that taught me how to be either a better teacher or um, you know to learn patience and to, el- to other to understand that it's not always about me you know like as, when you come into a, a situation you come into a class you have your lesson plan you're so pumped and excited you think it's amazing and then you start teaching it and you realize that half the class is checked out you could go one way of being like oh what's wrong with the kids of today they just don't care about you know learning and all these things or you could ask yourself like I had to ask myself well what am I doing that's making them bored like why are they not Mm -hmm. engaged and how can I bring something to the table that's going to make them sit up in their chair and really want to participate in my class. And so I've definitely had reluctant writers, reluctant readers, students who were very hard and challenging to work with. But I, I wanted to look at that. I was like, well, what can I do to bring, to bring them into the class instead of kind of push them further out? Most of the time, something else was happening that I had no idea about, home life, you know, friendship mm-hmm. stuff that they were just carrying into the classroom. So I try to make um, a container for their emotions and say, okay, we'll bring that in and let's talk about it and let's make art around it. And I think that was why it was successful for me to be, you know, to teach with young people um, was because I respected their lives. Even though they're young lives, they are lives and they are mm-hmm. their sadness is real, their anger is real and um, their joy is, is real. And so I wanted all of that in the class. And wasn't asking them to leave their personal lives outside the door.
1: Oh, he like such a wonderful, just stock. a wonderful um, so I was when I was researching my questions for this, um, I read an interview with you and Ellen where you talked about your sisters, and I was really interested um, where you said that your sisters taught you that joy can be a form of resistance and a source of strength. Can you expand on that a little bit more and kind of talk talk us through your own philosophy when it comes to activism?
2: Sure. All right. When I was um... Talking about that, I was thinking about the ways in which um, sometimes when you when you feel oppressed, when you feel like there are systems in place that want to keep you um, down, and there are people who don't want you to succeed, mean um, this can be in very small or very big ways, like right? there's one way you could go about living is to, you know, be more depressed and angry and sad and kind of walk in that on a daily basis and wear it and kind of have ownership of that pain and that kind of woe is me, life is not fair. Or I think you can take that and say, well, regardless of what you think about me or regardless of how you keep trying to keep my people down, my neighborhood down, my gender down, whatever the thing is, um, I am going to choose joy. I'm going to choose to rise I'm still gonna laugh. I'm gonna dance. I'm gonna make music. I'm gonna make art. I'm gonna celebrate things that you disregard and you call ugly, but I see beauty in it. And all of that is a way to resist. And just getting up in the morning and living your life and and finding um, joy in the small things, I think, is a way to say I'm still here. I'm still standing. And you can't, you know, destroy me. And so I think, especially when talking to young people, that it's important to think about, yeah, you know, you can't control everything. You can't change everything. You really don't have a lot of power when you're a young person, especially. But what can you control? Your response to things. You can control what you create. And so that's one of the things that's so about creating art. And when I'm saying art, I mean, you know, music, dance, theater, visual art, writing, uh, et cetera, that you are in control of that thing. And I think there's something powerful about that. When you get to make something in response to something that's hurtful, there's something that is really powerful about kind of like taking the power back, taking the mic back and saying, no, 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 you keep trying to tell my story for me, but I'm going to tell it in my own words. Um, And so in that way, that is a form of resistance. It's not the only way to resist, but I think it is a way to resist. And so when I'm talking to people who feel powerless, I think that's a place to start. And of course, there's voting and there's marching and there's all these other things that we need to do too. But I I do think there's a good starting place is just to ask someone, well, what do you want to say? Like, what do you have to say? And also, what are you... Where is the hope? And we talk so much about the struggle and the pain of our lives when you're marginalized. But I think it's important to also celebrate um, the legacy that you have behind you of all these people who who fought and fought for you (laughs) to be here. Um, And now, what are you going to do now that you are here? How do you carry that forward? So that's where that was um, coming from. And that's kind of what I think about activism in general. I think there's so many ways to be an activist. And I try not to be, I try not to be judgmental or uh, kind of didactic about it, right? Because everyone is different. And so your personality will also dictate what you feel comfortable doing. Um, I just want you to do something. Like, I, you know, it's like, figure it out. If it's art, if it's marching, if it's making phone calls to your, you know, leaders, who are in power, whatever you feel comfortable doing, do something and don't just sit in silence and watch things happen. Get involved in whatever way you can.
1: Absolutely. I think voting is one of the the best ways as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And taking your vote seriously. Yeah, like we were talking Mm -hmm. about that with with Claire Wright who wrote a book about how Australian women won the right to vote. And, Mm -hmm. you know, she was saying that, we as Australians should be so incredibly proud of the fact that we have this amazing electoral system where we have compulsory voting. And, you know, we were just commenting on the fact that as women, you know, we should take that seriously. So many people fought for this right. And yes. it's exactly the same with so many other rights that that we have now. We should like you said remember the people who came before and and fought for those yeah. rights and and respect that by carrying it carrying it on
0: yeah
1: and yeah taking it seriously <laughs>
0: yeah well I think taking it seriously is a, you know it's important to vote everywhere but I think in Australia because we have compulsory voting a lot of yeah, people some then people go don't, yeah they think it's not important
2: mm-hmm. and
1: it is mm. so yeah for us taking it seriously for everyone that doesn't have compulsory voting, actually getting out and registering and voting is mm-hmm. incredibly important. So yeah, and probably one of the easiest things you can do too, because you just go and check a box and you've, you've done a little bit, you've had yeah. your say.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. <laughs> um, look, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you tonight, Renee. Um, oh, I just feel so inspired and empowered and yeah it's kind of like I wish I'd had you as a teacher (laughs) Like you sound so awesome as a teacher it's just wonderful and you're such a
0: good speaker like we've just been sitting here like listening like you everything has been so well said
1: and the main thing um I think that you know I felt felt in your work too and I felt talking to you and and you've mentioned a couple of times is that compassion and grace for other people and I think that that yeah I think that's like in if All of us can be activists in our own way, but I think keeping those values top of mind um, will make for a nicer society in general. So it's just been wonderful to hear you talk about that. Um, We really
2: appreciated talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for making time and for inviting me to the show. I appreciate
1: it. Oh, it's absolutely our pleasure. Um, So
2: where can people find you um, online? Online, my website is my name, so www.ReneeWatson.net, and it's Renee with two E's, Um, and then I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook under my name, Renee Watson, Uh, so you could type that in and I'll I'll pop up. (laughs)
1: Fantastic. Wonderful, thank you. Enjoy the rest of your time in Australia.
2: Thank you, thank you so much.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Better Words. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you left a rating or review on iTunes. It really would mean the world to us.
0: And you can also find us at our website, BetterWordsPodcast.com, and on social media at Better Words Pod, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Bye! Bye!